Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Well, like, like probably all of us in, in, in some phase of life, in some season of life, um, I, I believe we all can struggle with this issue of favoritism or partiality. And it can play out in all kinds of ways and, and often in subtle ways that we don't see. I think there's a reason, you know, really chapter two really starts kind of the nitty gritty details of this letter from James. We've gotten some big picture stuff we need to be aware of. And he was sort of setting the tone of where we're gonna be going. And now as we get into the nitty gritty, you know, you could think of all kinds of struggles that we have in this world and in our walk with the Lord. And yet the first thing James talks about is favoritism. He talks about relational dynamics with one another. And I think he does that because this is something we can easily slip into something we could easily fall prey to. And so I was just thinking about this week, like, Lord, I wanna be real and honest with people. Like, is there a personal example for my life? And so, um, man, there's, there's probably quite a few I could choose from. But it re- he reminded me of a moment when I was supposed to be loving and serving others and I was confronted with my own sense of like favoritism and partiality. So for years, I was a youth pastor. And for a lot of those early years, I worked with middle school kids. And then I'd started moving into high school ministry. And so this is probably 12 or 15 years ago when this story took place. And as we do every summer, we were getting ready for summer camp. And so, you know, we divvy out kind of the responsibilities. Um, Each adult would have several students kind of assigned to them to, to just sort of oversee. And really that's who you'd spend most of your week with. And so as we were breaking down things that particular summer camp um, and just kind of seeing where the best fits were, um, I was pretty disappointed with the group of kids I was going to be assigned to. Um, And as the guy in charge, I could have assigned myself to somebody else, but I kind of did the begrudging like, here's these eighth graders that are getting ready to move up to high school. I'm going to be their youth pastor the next four years. I should help welcome them to the high school ministry by kind of being their counselor this week. And I was very just like not happy about it. Because like, you know, I'm already spending a week away from my family with other people's kids. I want to enjoy that as much as I can. And the truth is a lot of our mission trips and summer camps, I just have fond memories of. I love them. They were relationship forming with our adult leaders. They were relationship forming with our students. I love them. And so, you know, I had the, the guys who were 16, 17 year olds have been in youth group for a few years. That's like, man, I'd love to just hang out with my dudes. You know, that'd be great to be with them but it was just clear this is who I need to be with. And so pretty early in the week, I just started to have this real conviction of the Lord of like, man, I've just got a bad attitude. And I've like preemptively judged this is gonna be a bad week and this is really not who I'd like to spend time with. And it's like, I need to embrace this. And so the Lord really convicted me. And I gotta tell you, as the week went along, it was like the best week that I was spending with these kids I didn't know very well and they didn't know each other very well. And several of them weren't just new to me because they were moving into high school. They were kind of new to our church and they just needed to be welcomed in. And I realized like I needed to get my eyes off of myself and onto the opportunity in front of me to love well. And I can tell you like all these years later, one of those students, I got to do his wedding like seven or eight years after that story. 
And, but what if I just allowed myself to follow my natural inclination just to go, I'll let somebody else deal with that. Like it was such a relationship forming week. We clicked and maintained connection all through each of those students, four years of high school and then on into adulthood even. And so that was just one example of like the Lord just showing me like how, how easy it is just from a selfish mentality to choose favoritism or partiality. And so let's jump into this and see what the Lord might reveal to all of us this morning. So James chapter two, verse one. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. It's like, listen, as you're, as you're walking out this journey of faith with the King of glory, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, as you do that, be careful to show no partiality. As you're walking out your faith in your relationship with Jesus, be careful about how you assess and treat other people. That's the warning. And so he gives us some specifics on this. So as we unpack these next few verses, this is kind of point number one this morning, what I'm calling the prison of partiality. It actually rips us off from what God has for us when we operate in favoritism or partiality. So we're gonna get a sense of this here in the next three verses, verses two through four. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? Can y'all say made distinctions? All right, that's a key word there we're gonna come back to in a minute. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Yeah, there's so many ways that, that we can do this, whether it's specifically related to just judging someone's appearance like rich versus poor or just all kinds of ways that we analyze each other. And listen, the, 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 uh, the prevalence of like things like social media make this even easier because I don't even have to be in the same room with someone to make judgments about them. I can just see the little ways they might be presenting themselves online and can make judgments about them. In fact, we're we're literally normalizing making quick judgments off of just surface glances with people versus really getting to know people for who they are. And so I believe we're all susceptible to this. And James just right out of the chute, he gives a, just a, a simple practical way that we might do this. And then he calls it out for what it is. So there's two key kind of phrases in here. The first is, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? I wanna give you this definition and we'll put this up on the screen here. Distinctions. This means to separate thoroughly. See, it's not as, as simple as it seems, right? Just a quick judgment. We separate. We put people into categories. We separate. It means to withdraw from. It can even mean to oppose. It can mean to discriminate or even to hesitate, like think about the story Jesus told about the Good Samaritan, right? And, but the first couple people, they just saw something that looked a little sketchy. There's a guy on the side of the road beat up, left for dead. And they just, 
they just hesitated to even approach him, just a quick turn the other direction. There's, there's the extreme level of outright rejection down to just avoidance. I'd rather just shift over here, ignore that person, not even, not even admit to myself that I'm ignoring that person. But what it does when we make distinctions among ourselves is it separates. It divides people. We are made in the image of God. Even in the midst of our brokenness and our sin and our struggles, every person you encounter is an image bearer. Think about the significance of that. God cares about every single person made in his image. He has deep love and purpose and care for everyone. And some of the people that we would be the most quick to reject, like God might not be happy with their choices, with their lifestyle, with their behaviors, but he loves them and wants to rescue them for their sake. If God's willing to put his very image on people, who are we to so quickly judge and divide and reject? But we do, we do, we make distinctions and it separates. Where God wants to make us whole individually, we talked about that in chapter one, he wants to bring wholeness, maturity. He wants to bring his children together. And that's only possible in the name of Jesus. We were just singing it this morning, but this is God's heart for people. And he's saying, be careful as the people of God that you don't fall into this. And the way this is written here, it's like James is describing what's happening within the body of Christ. Like we can definitely do this when we're interacting out in the world, but we fall victim of this even in our midst, even within the church house. We play favorites, we make distinctions, and it separates instead of bringing us together. And then he then goes on to say, when you're doing this, you're becoming judges with evil thoughts. I wanna give you the definition of that word evil. There's a lot to it. Um, Kind of the first part of this definition is just simply like bad or unsound, unsound. It's inaccurate. It's inaccurate is what he's talking about here. In an ethical sense, it means like evil, wicked, bad. We're kind of familiar with that. But this word can also be used in a physical sense. It means diseased or blind. So evil isn't, it's not just that it's wrong, it's that it's harmful. These, this way of thinking is diseased thinking that hurts the body of Christ. Now, what might not be immediately evident to you is ways that you've walked in favoritism or partiality. But I bet if I were to take a show of hands that all of you could tell me about experiences you've had within the church where you have felt shunned, rejected, left out, where you felt like there was a click over there that you couldn't penetrate. Anybody felt that way? Yeah. I've got news for you. Odds are you've done the same thing. We tend to be very aware of the ways that we are left out and rejected. And we tend to be very blind. That's what this word evil means. Very blind and unaware of the ways we do this. This is a warning for the people of God that James is giving us. Now, 
There's another uh, variation of how this word evil can be used. It can also be used to describe something that's toilsome or hurtful. It means it's full of labors, annoyances, and hardship. That's what comes when we operate this way. Hardship, annoyances. We make life difficult even in the house of God for one another. Instead of being safe and welcoming in a place where healing can come, we just make it that much more difficult for people. And so there's people who come into relationship with God and come into the church and they just deal with a new form of hurt and rejection for years. There's other people that they'll never darken the doors of the church because they already feel that they will immediately be judged and rejected. And sadly, in many cases, they're right. They're right. And God, God, God is wanting to highlight here this thing that, that can seem so small and simple and like, I mean, I wasn't trying to do that. You know, I just kind of gravitated towards what was easy for me. It's so subtle and that's how the enemy works. But the effects are devastating. They're harmful to other people and they're not good for us. It's a disease that hurts us and it blinds us. Partiality is a form of judgment. That's what he's saying. We become judges with evil thoughts. So the prison of partiality, it starts with judgment. We judge people. And most of this is external. I'm not talking about wisdom and discernment that would protect us from bad situations, from harmful or toxic relationships. Like that's a different sermon for a different time. I'm talking about just the ways that we make quick assessments and judgments of people, people we don't even ever give the time of day in the first place. We never even give them an opportunity to show us who they are. We never open up our lives enough to be real with them, let them see who we are. It's a form of judgment. And here's, here's, where he goes, here's what he goes to describe next. Like, our judgment is evil. Like that's what we've just unpacked. It's bad, it's harmful, it's a disease, it's evil. Our judgment isn't just evil, it's also inaccurate. Our judgment isn't correct, we're blind. Look at the next few verses, five through seven. It says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? but you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich, the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? He's like, listen, not only is this harmful because of the people you're rejecting, but the people you're trying to get in with and accept, they're the very ones that are gonna betray you in the first place. He's like, get off the hamster wheel. The very people you're trying to impress, they're trying to impress you and we're always falling short. So not only are we leaving people out over here, we're not even accomplishing our real goal over here because we are basing our judgment on what I can get out of this relationship. And you know what we're doing when we do that? We're using people. And we're inviting them to do the same thing with us. By by me pursuing something, receiving something from them, I'm also saying it's okay to, to pursue this relationship from what are you gonna get out of it? And, and we, we enter into these unholy relationships 
where we're trying to get something from each other and trying to offer something to each other that won't satisfy, that will never satisfy, and that we can't measure up to. Because we're not operating on the basis of love. We're operating on the basis of what do I get out of this? That's inherently selfish. And as we're gonna see in a minute, like some of the things we would associate with being more obviously evil and wrong, it's, it's still rooted in the same core issue of using people. Our judgment is evil and it's broken and inaccurate. It works to our detriment. We can't even trust our judgment. When I'm assessing, oh, this person's worth my time and energy and I might get this out of it, the whole thing is through a broken lens. Listen, this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew's gospel. I mentioned how much James kind of intersected with the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to see these words from Jesus in Matthew 7, verses one through five. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now it's easy to think about this in the sense of like, like our relationship with God, right? So if I'm judging people, God's gonna judge me. If I'm hard on people, he's gonna be hard on me. But I think he's talking about what we do with each other. The way I'm judging and treating other people, I, I better believe that's coming back this direction. We harshly treat and judge one another, hold, hold each other to impossible standards that we can't meet. And notice how Jesus then ties in blindness with this form of judgment, the same thing James is talking about. Verse three, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? In our, in our judgments, we're blind. We're blind. Verse four, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, the, the last thing he says there, truly helping a brother take a speck out of their eye, that's, that's an act of love and graciousness. And I'm gonna have a level of sensitivity to address that once I've realized how painful it is going through the process of the log that's in my eye getting dealt with. So far, lots of just warning and bad news, right? <laughs> like we need to see this for what it is. It's part of the power of the truth of the gospel is like God's willing to be honest with us for our benefit, for our good. When we walk in partiality and favoritism, what it, let's just call it what it really is, we're judging people, which brings separation and it hurts. It hurts the one I'm doing it to and it hurts me. And even in some of my relationships where I am accepting, often what I'm doing is I'm, I'm just trying to see what I can get out of this relationship. And it's all unhealthy and broken. And God wants to, to let us see it so we can be healed of it. Thank God that he came to set the captives free. Thank God that he came to give recovery of sight to the blind. And so now we come to point two where we find our hope and it's the law of love. <clears throat> I need a sip of water. Okay, James 2, verse eight now. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. You know what puts you on solid footing? A firm foundation? The law of love. I love how he calls it the royal law. I think he does that on purpose as he's talking about rich people and poor people. That word royal, it literally means kingly. Kingly. I think it stands apart here, like the difference between God's kingdom and the kingdom of this world. The way the kings of this world operate, people in places of authority, it's what am I getting out of this? People live to serve the king. But the king of kings does things differently. The king of kings lives to serve. He gives sacrificially. He stands apart from the way this world operates. God's love, his royal law is fulfilled because he sacrificially gives for the benefit of others instead of using others for the benefit of himself. I'm gonna say that again because this is what love is. It's sacrificially giving for the benefit of others instead of using others to benefit myself. That's the royal law. That's the law of love. And if we're really gonna fulfill this, love your neighbor as yourself, that puts us on solid footing. And we see so much of this. Jesus uses a similar phrase in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not gonna read it right now, but in Matthew 7, 12, if you wanna check that out, that's what we refer to as the golden rule is what we often refer to that as. I already mentioned the story of the Good Samaritan, like in answer to who's my neighbor, like how do I love well and who's my neighbor? Jesus tells a story that flips everything upside down, right? First of all, the person doing the loving is the person you wouldn't suspect. The good Samaritan would sound like an oxymoron to like a Jew in that day, just because of the inherent judgment and hatred they had for one another. There's racism at work there. And so he makes the good guy somebody you would least expect in the story. And then the person who is loved and served and cared for had nothing to offer. In fact, All it did was cost the Samaritan. It cost him time and inconvenience. It cost him money. The Samaritan stopped, cared for the person, put him on his own animal. What does that mean? If the other guy's riding the donkey, then what's the Samaritan riding? Nothing, he's walking. Goes to the next town, pays to care for this guy, put him up so his needs can be met while he recovers. Sacrificially loving. This is the royal law. This is who our king is. He loves us like that. And we're now invited to love this way. Verse nine, we're gonna read nine through 11. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Friends, when we break this law of showing partiality, it's the same mentality that leads to all law breaking. Someone who commits adultery is not thinking about what's good for other people or themselves. They're using someone else to meet some desire or need. The person who would murder 
like the mindset that would get you there, it's rooted in the same idea of using people instead of sacrificially loving people. Jesus talked about this in a different way when he said, when you hate someone, it's like murder. When you lust after someone, it's like committing adultery because it's the, it's the same mentality. Lust is using people. And so he's highlighting that it's all connected. He uses this phrase that um, what we're doing is if we fail the law at one point, we've, we, we're guilty of the whole thing. And in just kind of reading through, studying about this verse a little bit, like there was a commentator that came across and he talked about it like thinking about like a garment and like the law is like one complete thing that's woven together. And if there's a tear in the garment, then the garment's torn. It's spoiled. The law is the same way. Micah is like a perfect picture of this. My son hates tags in clothing. Anybody got any little like things like that that just really bother you? I actually have some of that. Him and I are not blood related. We adopted him, but he got that from me somehow, some way. Um, I was like that, man, as a kid, like, you know, the socks and like the seam inside the sock and like on the corners where it sticks out a little bit, I couldn't handle that as a kid. And I'd have to wear like the sock inside out or get my mom to like cut the frayed because it drove me crazy. Well, Mike is like that with tags. And so whether it's the back of the neck or like a lot of shirts now have the tag kind of right in here. And if he gets a new shirt for his birthday or for Christmas, if we forget to get rid of that tag, I'm telling you right now, that shirt is not gonna make it a week. He wears it, he tears out the tag, and then it creates a hole, and then the hole in the shirt drives him crazy, and so he picks at it, and he ends up just ripping the entire shirt to shreds. And it's like, I just, I thought of him that week, this week thinking about this. Like, that's it. It's like, we try to ignore these tiny little things, but it's like, the truth is, like, it's torn. It's broken, if, if we allow this mentality to creep in, I'm not saying you will one day commit murder, but I'm saying we are harming each other when we normalize living like this and treating each other like this. It's harmful. And friends, I hope you don't, I hope this doesn't sound like I'm preaching at you this morning. I'm telling you, I need to hear this stuff. It's so subtle and easy to fall into this. What am I getting out of relationships? Picking and choosing what, who gets my time, who gets my attention based on what I'm getting out of it versus God, you just call me to love this person, these people. How do I do that well? Anytime the word is convicting us like this, what it ought to do is bring us back to the God who's the only one that can do this well. Like there's a reason we need Jesus. You know, Jesus is the only one that would build a team the way he built a team. Like read, read through the gospels, man. Those disciples, they were a hot mess. And he said, perfect, perfect. And he loved them. He participated in their lives and they participated in his life. And he loved them well. And so when we hear this kind of convicting message to be careful of how we treat one another, what it ought to do is drive us to go, God, first of all, wow, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you have taken me as I am, that you love me enough to change me and make me something new, but that you take me as I am. Thank you, God. Now, Lord, I need your help. If I'm gonna fulfill your kingly law, that sacrificially loves, I'm gonna need your help. And so God, would you help me to walk in this?
Verse 12 and 13 now. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. I love that. He calls the law the kingly law and he calls it the law of liberty. It's freeing. It's liberating. When we have been loved with no judgment, with no partiality, God's no respecter of persons, it's liberating when we experience Christ's love. And when we choose to walk in love relationships like this, by his grace, with his help, it's liberating. It's freeing. There's nothing better than enjoying a relationship where you know they take me as I am. They take me as I am. I can just, I can let my hair down. I can be myself. I can be real. They'll take me warts and all. It's liberating. That's what this law is. It's the law of liberty. Verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has been shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the cross. Mercy triumphing over judgment. This is Jesus saying in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Friends, I want want you to see this connected all the way back to verse one. I wanna read verse one again where we started. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Holding on in faith, learning to trust him and his liberating love in my life. And as I walk out by faith, this relationship with him, that liberating love permeates my life more and more. And I learn from him how to give it away to other people. I learn from him how to love sacrificially. I put my faith into practice by receiving the liberating love of God. See, if we'll sit honestly with this and let him expose maybe ways we've walked in some favoritism or partiality, my guess is he'll not only show you ways you've done that, he'll help you see what sits underneath of that. Maybe a pride or an insecurity or some unmet thing that you feel like you have that that caused you to operate in that way. And he'll go, hey, not only will I forgive you for treating people like this, I wanna meet that underlying need that would drive you there in the first place. You don't need anyone else's love. Mine is enough. I'm enough to satisfy you and complete you and make you whole in me. I want you to enjoy other relationships. You'll be ministered to by other people, but my love is enough. And I want you to be liberated by my love. And then I want you to enjoy that and I want you to carry that into your relationships and watch what it does. Watch the freedom that comes as we love one another the way Christ has loved the church, his bride. Friends, we are called to trust, to have faith, to rely upon Jesus. He is the fulfillment. He's the completion of this law of love. It's it's him. He is the law of love. And therefore, we ought to use the liberty that he's giving us to learn to love each other well. I wanna close by reading um, from Paul, because this isn't, you know, we've, we've referenced several verses where Jesus spoke along these lines. We're seeing James' letter here. I wanna close with Galatians chapter five, verses 13 through 50. I think it summarizes this really well. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom 
as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Friends, let's be careful not to fall into the trap of using each other and using relationships. Instead, let's receive the freedom and liberty we have in Jesus and learn to love each other well. Amen? Anybody want that? Yeah, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your royal law. Thank you for your law of liberty. Lord, the truth is that contradicts the way I think about law. I think about it being controlling and oppressive and restricting. But God, your law brings life. It brings liberty. It brings freedom. Thank you, Jesus, that you have ultimately fulfilled the law by triumphing over judgment with mercy. God, thank you for the mercy that you have and continue to pour into my life. Thank you for the liberty and the freedom we have in you. God, would you help each of us to grow in love that as we receive your sacrificial love, we can learn to walk in it too. God, if there's things you wanna expose in our hearts and our, in our lives this week, would you do it? Lord, if there's a mentality that needs to shift, if there's some particular relationships that need to change, if there's relationships we ought to have that we don't because we've been walking, separating, God, would you, with your love and your gentleness, would you show us what needs to change? We thank you for your mercy that forgives us, and we thank you for your grace that empowers us to live differently by your gracious presence in our lives. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.